Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.Church, every life made different. Uh, But today we're continuing our series that we started last week. Um, The name of the series is New Year, New Yens, and um, it still pains me a little bit to say that, but uh, but, uh, that's Western PA slang is Yens. I never heard that before. I moved here before, but we really believe that what God wants to do in our lives is do something new and transformational, um, that all of us, a lot of us make New Year's resolutions, or we make goals, and I think we want to celebrate those, because I think any time we purpose in our lives to see change happen, that's something to celebrate, but the truth is many of those changes go by the way side. And I think the biggest change that God wants to make in our heart and in our life um, doesn't have anything necessarily to do with our external, but it has everything to do with our internal. It has to do with our heart and what God wants to do in our lives. So not to, not to disparage losing weight or eating better, those are important things. But at the end of the day, um, those are temporary. But God, what God wants to do in our lives is eternal. And so I think he wants to begin to work in our hearts. And, and one of the things I want us to look at is what it means to get free, what it means to walk in freedom. And that's really what this series is about, that even as believers, we can be free from the bondage of sin, but we can still be bound up by things that keep us and prevent us from becoming everything that God wants us to be in our lives. And so that's what we're, we started last week, and we'll continue the series on through the end of this month. Uh, and then, in fact, uh, starting in February, we'll let you know more about this. My wife and I are going to be leading a group on Wednesday nights specifically for freedom, that we're gonna be walking through that process because it's an ongoing process that we have to walk through. So we'd love for you, if this is a a topic that's interesting to you or something that's that's important to you, we would love for you to be a part of that as well. So we'll be getting you more information about that. I wanna start today with our key verse for the series. It's in John chapter eight, and it starts in verse 31. It says this, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what he says here is, um, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth. So if you abide in the word of God, you, you rest there, you stay there, you will know the truth, and the truth is what sets us free. Now, the truth has a dual meaning here. It's the truth uh, the, the eternal truth of God, but it's also the truth of Jesus. Jesus is the truth. So when we know Jesus, have relationship with Jesus, he is the key to truth in our life. But just simply because we know him doesn't mean we are free. It means we have access to freedom. And that's, there's a big difference. Verse 33 said, they answered him. So these, these Jewish people answered him and said, we're offspring of Abraham and never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Um, and so what we have to see here is freedom in our life only comes through Jesus Christ. And that's it. That's the only way we can experience true freedom. Um, there's, if you're a note taker, and remember, if uh, you're on version, you can jump on our live event and follow along in the notes. The notes are there in version. Um, if you're writing these down, I've got two sections of notes today. So I've got three points, and then I've got three points. It's not six points. Don't, don't be afraid. It'll be fine. We'll walk through this together, okay? Uh, it's only 20 minutes per point. That's all, so don't worry. Um, the first thing I want to mention to you today is that um, last week I had said to you, I don't believe that everything that happens in our life is because the enemy is out to get us. 
Sometimes I just get a flat tire, and it doesn't mean the enemy gave me a flat tire. Sometimes I just get a sniffle, and that's what happens because we live in a fallen world. But I want to backtrack just a little bit, and I want you to know that I do believe that demons are real. So that's the first thing. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Uh, there really are demons in the world we live in today. Uh, this is undeniable. In 1 Peter chapter 5, 8 through 9, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So what it says here is, the enemy of our soul, the devil, is like a roaring lion. He's looking for someone to devour. And if you took your dog outside and took your dog out, you saw a lion walking around, that might make you a little nervous, right? You might hold the dog a little tighter. My dog would be, uh, would be an appetizer, right? That's all that dog would be for the lion. I would be the main course probably. But, uh, but I would be a little nervous. I'd go back in the house. I'd, I'd close the door. I'd call animal control, and then I would watch because that would be fun, right? <laughs> animal control shows up, and they find a lion. Um, but we get a little nervous about something like this, and we give the enemy a lot of authority and say, man, he's like a lion, but if you look at the next verse, the very next part says, resist him. So it seems to indicate that we have power in our lives. We have access to the power to resist the devil when he comes our way. And I'm grateful for that because our enemy does have power, but he does not have as much power as we have access to in Jesus Christ. Um, what we see in scripture is about a third of the angels fell from heaven and rebelled against God. So the good news for you today is, yes, demons are real, but if a third rebelled, I'm bad at math, but I can tell you this, that means one out of three rebelled against God. That means two out of three are for God. If one out of three are out to get you, guess what? Two out of three are for you. So there's twice as many fighting for you that there are fighting against you. Does that make sense to anybody today? So we can, we, we can acknowledge that our enemy has power, but we have to understand that our, that our God has even more power and even more authority. The, the power that our God has supersedes because he's the one who allows our enemy to have any authority at all. And we're not going to get into the whys and hows because that's end time events and we won't get into all that today. But just understand that demons are real. There really are demons. Now, not to freak you out, but let me just take this a step further. Um, demonic possession really can happen in our world. It is not normal though, okay? I had a cousin who let me watch The Exorcist when I was about 10 years old. <laughs> That'll mess you up, right? Um, so, I, so that kind of framed my world that every time I thought about uh, the, the spiritual, especially in the negative, I thought about that. I was thinking heads turning and pea soup and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that is, that is the extreme. What I would say to you is demonic possession is the exception to the rule. That does not happen very often. And so you might have somebody in your life, like your boss, that you're like, I'm pretty sure they're demonically possessed. It's probably not. They're just not very nice, okay? Um, so... So that is full on, the, the, the demon is in the driver's seat. That does not happen very often. Uh, that is the exception to the rule. But I will say this, um, uh, a demon, well, let me, let me back up. A demon cannot possess a Christian, okay? So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, his blood has paid for your sins, then uh, a demon cannot possess you. Uh, 
And, and let me tell it to you this way. Scripture talks over and over and over to us about us being God's possessions, that we are his handiwork, uh, that we are his children. And I will tell you this, if someone tried to take my kids, I am a believer, I am a Christian, uh, I am a peaceful guy, but in that moment, all that stuff kind of goes away. Does that make sense? Yes, I'm a believer, but, um, but if I have to use force to protect my family, I'm gonna absolutely do it. Nobody's taking my girls because they are my girls. Does that make sense? And just as strongly as I feel about my girls, our God feels even more strongly about us, that he is territorial about us, that we are his possession. He bought us with a price. And if the enemy thinks he's gonna take us, he's got another thing coming. So what we have to understand is there is no way for us as believers to be possessed by a demon. But if you're writing this down, the second thing I would tell you is I do believe believers, Christians, can be influenced by demons. Um, now this, again, for some of you going, this is weird stuff. We're gonna make it more practical in just a second, I promise. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse one says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So what it says here is the world is following the prince of the power of air, who is the devil, um, and his spirit influences the world we live in today. So there's direct influence and then there's indirect influence. By nature of us being in a fallen world, if we're influenced by our culture, then we are indirectly influenced by this spirit. Now, what I want you to understand is there is direct influence as well. Um, just because someone is evil or, or not very nice doesn't mean that they're demonically influenced. But I will, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, in April of 1995, I was sitting in school, at Mustang High School in Southwest Oklahoma City. I was um, sitting in a classroom by myself. The teacher that I was, uh, I was her aide for that hour, she had a planning period. So basically I just did homework in that class. And I, we were sitting there, it was totally silent. She was sitting at her desk, I was sitting there and I heard a loud noise and it sounded like somebody slammed a door down the hall. And I said, did you, did you hear that? And she said, yeah. And she said, what was that? And I said, it sounds like somebody slammed the door. And she said, no, 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 no. I think it was a sonic boom. There was a Air Force base uh, over on the other side of Oklahoma City. And once in a while, you'd hear a sonic boom in our area. And she said, I think that's what it was, it was a sonic boom. I'm, okay. So I didn't think anything of it. And she asked me to go to the office to pick up her mail for her. And when I went down there, there was a little bit of commotion. And I said, hey, what's going on? And they said, well, did you not hear? There was an explosion downtown, Oklahoma City. So the, the explosion that was 20 miles away was, was heard in my classroom. I could hear it. And I said, well, what happened? And they said, well, there was an explosion at the Murrah Federal Building and the gas line ruptured or something. And what we went on to find out is that there was actually a terrorist attack. And was, there was a man who was anti-government. Uh, he, he professed to be a, a Christian. Uh, he was just a regular old white guy. He decided he would fill a, a truck up with explosive material, pull it up to the Federal Building, right on the corner where there was a nursery, on the second floor, and over 100 people, lives were taken that day, including some children who were in that daycare center. Uh, I heard the explosion from my classroom. And, and what I will tell you today is that wasn't just somebody who's a little off their rocker, who's a little different, who has a little bit of a different bent to them. What I will tell you today is, is I'm, I'm fully confident that Timothy McVeigh and his conspirators were, were influenced by the demonic. I don't, I don't think you can do that without being influenced in a demonic way. When I look at terrorists who will let an ideology drive them to fly a, a plane into a building full of people, 
I don't believe that is simply some people who are a little misguided. I believe that they're influenced by the demonic. See, it has no difference. It doesn't make any difference what your race or ethnicity or what your background is or your ideology. At the end of the day, there's an influence in this world that, that, that we are prone to listen to if we're not careful and we have to guard our hearts. Now, those are extreme examples. Um, and most of the time, the enemy doesn't come to us like that. In fact, Scripture tells us that our enemy comes to us like an angel of light. So the enemy's not going to walk up to us with a pitchfork and his horns and his, you know, his goatee, because we all know that the devil has a goatee, right? <laughs> you, need to, you should sin today. That's not how it happens. What does it do? What does he do? He, he whispers a lie in our ear that we think, oh, well, that's not that bad. And we begin to apply that. We begin to live it out. That's how the enemy comes our way. So what we have to see is the world that we live in is influenced by the demonic. And we as Christians, as believers, we can hear the lies of the enemy and let those influence our lives as well. And it's not, it is not a punch in the face. It's subtle how the enemy works in our lives. So with, with everything that I just said, you know, that, that demons are real and that I feel like Christians can even be influenced by the demonic at times. Let, let, me, let me give you some good news. The third thing you can write down. They have to flee in the name of Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus had sent some believers out to do the work of ministry. And they came back in verse 17. It says, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to you or to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Let me stop right there. By the way, uh, I would not suggest picking up scorpions. That is not a good idea. Uh, what Jesus is saying here is this is, um, there's a principle here that our enemy cannot overcome us. Uh, but if we take this literally here, you're probably going to have to visit the ER, okay? Uh, so don't do that. In verse 20, he says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So what he says is, yes, there's authority, but don't get cocky because it's not your authority. So see, we can let pride come into us and we start feeling like, oh, <laughs> who does the devil think he is? Because I got the authority. Well, you have access to the authority, but you are not the authority. Does that make sense? So what we need, need to do is walk humbly in, in our authority so that we understand that our authority is only, is only found in our identity as children of God. Um, if I'm not a child of God, I don't have access to the things of God. My authority is only related to my relationship with Christ. If I'm not in relationship with Christ, there is no authority in my life to overcome the schemes that the enemy has against me. Does that make sense? Um, there's a story, and I'm not going to read this story to you. It's interesting. It's in Acts chapter 19. Um, and there's these, these seven brothers, and they're the sons of the high priest. His name is Sceva. And these seven brothers fancy themselves as exorcists. So they will go around praying for people who have unclean spirits. And they found this one guy, and they were in this house, and they, they speak to this man with his unclean spirit who's demonic, uh, possessed by a demon. And he says, these brothers say to him, hey, you need to come out in the name of Jesus who Paul professes. Which, this is already trouble. Right? Like just by the language there, it's like, oh, I don't know if that's going to work. And this demoniac, this man who's possessed by a demon, he, he responds back to them. And he says, Jesus I know, and Paul I've heard of, but who are you? 
Now, I'm a grown man. I feel like I'm pretty confident, but in that moment, I would probably pee just a little bit. <laughs> right? Let's be honest. If that didn't make you a little bit nervous in that moment, I don't know what would. Scripture goes on to say that this demon-possessed man, he leaps on the seven brothers and he beats them senseless. They run out of the house naked and bleeding, which are both bad things, by the way, right? So this is what we have to understand. We can't pray against something and say, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm going to be free in the name of Jesus, who my parents worship. That doesn't work. I'm going to be free in the name of Jesus, who, who they worship at the church I attend sometimes. See, we only have authority in the intimacy that comes in relationship with Jesus Christ. So if there's things in your life that you're not free from and you want to be free, guess what? It begins with relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's it. And that's it. That's where the authority rests. That's where it lies. Uh, it doesn't do us any good to, to be familiar with who Jesus is. We have to know him because that's where authority is. That's where freedom is in knowing the truth. The verse we read earlier if you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How do we know the word? It's, the word is Jesus, right? So we're connected to Jesus in relationship, and that's where freedom is found. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against, according to the flesh. So what it means is uh, we're, we are flesh, we're spirits occupying a fleshly body, but we're not fighting with physical weapons like guns and physical swords. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So the war that's waging, that's being waged right now, is, is in the spirit realm. And, and I really believe this, one of the biggest strongholds that we encounter as believers and even non-believers, what I would say to you today is the biggest stronghold we will encounter is right here. In our mind. I believe there are things that we feel like are true, that are lies, that have locked us in place and kept us and prevented us from becoming everything God wants us to be. We are, we're captives. And it's not necessarily because our enemy is so strong, it's because we've submitted ourselves to the lies that we have now called truths. See, the lies that we believe are the very things that rob us of our freedom. It's, it's the lies that we've adopted when we hear the whispers that say, you're, you're not good enough. How could God ever love you? Don't forget about what you did. Don't forget about the things you were part of. Don't forget about the people you betrayed. Don't forget about, right? You could never be loved. You're unlovable. You could never achieve. You could never be used by God. How could you? What happens is we hear those words and we come into agreement with them. I've said before, we can never overcome an enemy that we're in agreement with. So when our enemy whispers in our ear, you're not enough, you're a failure, how could God love you? And we go, yeah, you know what? I mean, how could God love me? God, I'm terrible. See, we think that the enemy locks us up, but really what happens is, I, in, in the spirit, I believe there's like a, a jail cell 
that we willingly submit ourselves to when we believe lies and we walk into that jail cell and we close the door behind us and we lock the door and we throw away the key. And we don't need anyone to do it for us because we do it whenever we believe the lies that the enemy perpetrates in our lives. The lies that, that God could never use us. The lies that will never be good enough. And we just adopt those and go, yeah, it must be true because that's how I feel. But it's not true. Listen to what Jesus said. Um, I said last week, Jesus was mean sometimes. I mean, he was always loving, but sometimes he was mean to uh, religious people especially. And in John chapter 8, he's talking to some religious people and he says, you are of your father, the devil. So I just want to pause. He says, you are the son of the devil. That's pretty strong, isn't it? He says, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Now listen, he says, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. So what he's saying, there's a similar passage that says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what it's saying is the substance of who you are is what comes out of you. And what we see here is, uh, is the, the character, the substance of who our enemy is, is lies. So how do you know when he's lying? When he's speaking? So every time he speaks, he's speaking lies. So, so if you ever hear his voice, he's speaking to you, he's whispering something in your ear. You can take it to the bank. He is lying to you. So when he whispers something in your ear and says something like, your marriage can never be saved. I got good news for you. He's the father of lies. That means your marriage can be saved. Now it might be hard work, but he can't even speak the truth. He lacks the ability to speak truth. So when he speaks to you and says, you're a failure, you could never be loved. Do you know what you need to hear? You're a conqueror and you are loved extravagantly by our Heavenly Father. Why? Because he's the father of lies. He can't do anything but speak lies to you and me. Ephesians chapter 4 says this in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. That's one of the reasons I hate uh, the, the wintertime is because the sun goes down at like 4.30. So in the summer, I can stay mad all day long. <laughs> I get like four and a half more hours of anger in the summer than I do in the winter. It's terrible. I hate it. Um, <laughs> that's not what it's talking about here. This isn't a deadline for, um, for being mad. That's not what this is really about. The first part of this, the first verse we read here actually says that we put away falsehood and we speak truth to each other because we're in the body together. And, and what it's saying is, um, obviously the most blatant is, we don't lie to or about each other. We just don't. We speak truth, even if the truth is difficult. So uh, I'm not gonna tell you something that's false just to make you feel better. I wanna be honest with you, in love. Um, but the other part of that is, sometimes we have heard lies that we will propagate. So we will, we've heard a lie that says um, that, that we're not good enough. And so what we do is we propagate that through little things we say or do. And sometimes we will hear somebody say something like that. And, and not to be rude, we just kind of, oh, okay. Or, you know, mm, you know, 
and go about our business. But what we need to do as believers and as the same body is we need to confront lies and go, hey, you know what? You might be, I don't, I don't know if I'm reading this right, but you might be saying you don't feel like you're enough, that you're inadequate. But, but what I know is that you, that you are everything God needs you to be to do what he's asking you to do. So I, I want to confront that lie with truth. Does that make sense to anybody? So we, we speak truth in love. And then when we look at the second part of this, it says, again, be angry and do not sin. And I don't, you should not understand that very well. Um, it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. What it's saying is, and what I want you to catch is this. Um, we feel like we're emotional beings, and we are. Our emotions can control our lives. But what we have to understand is that, um, is that our emotions follow our thoughts. And you might not feel like they do, but they 100% absolutely do. Um, we've talked about this before. Favorite time of day, 5 p.m., downtown Pittsburgh, heading to the airport, Fort Pitt Tunnel. <laughs> Anybody with me on this? You're like, glory to God, yes, right? You get excited. Half a million people trying to squeeze into two lanes. And two of the lanes, if you're in the right, you got to go that way. If you're in the left, you got to go that way, right? And so you're one of the good people that you're, you're getting on. You're coming from, from 28, and you got to merge left. And so you get in that left-hand lane so you can merge left. And you look in the rearview mirror, and you see some guy just flying down that right-hand lane. And they, and they pull in. They nose in right in front of you. In that moment, how do you feel? Right? Don't you want to get out, like, throw the car in park and walk up there and say, hey, I'd like to lay hands on you in the name of Jesus, like, through the window? <laughs> we get a little frustrated, don't we? Yeah, that, that jerk, I cannot believe it. I saw them do it. I can't. And you, you wanted to pull over just a little bit to keep, but you're like, what is going on? And they pulled in, and I can't believe they do that. And, and all of a sudden, your emotions are racing. And I think this is a little personal. They probably knew it was me. Somebody sent them. My worst enemy sent them to come in front of me. And now I can't believe it, right? I'm going to be two minutes later to the airport now. How dare they? And our eyes are burning red and we're fired up. But, but how did we get that way? Well, we got that way because we had a thought. And the thought was, this person is a jerk. They're cutting me off. They're trying to get my place. That is my place. I deserve that place. And they're taking my place, right? And that emotions begin to be stoked up in our heart and our lives. Now, this is what we have to understand. Um, our thoughts give birth to our emotions, okay? So if, if I want to change my emotions, I need to change my thoughts. Um, I'm not always perfect at this, but I try to be. So if I get cut off in traffic, one of the first things I try to do is I try to imagine a child laying in the backseat of that car, a child that has maybe a broken arm, and, and the car's being driven by a dad who simply is trying to get that child to the hospital quickly because they're trying to take care of their child. And in that moment, doesn't it diffuse those feelings? And all it did, all, all it took was me simply saying, I'm going to change the narrative that I believe. It, is that true? Probably not. There's probably not a kid in the backseat of that car, but there might be. That narrative is just as true as this guy's evil and he's trying to take my place. Can you believe this guy, right? So if I'm gonna choose to believe one or the other, why wouldn't I choose to believe the best and, and allow myself to have a moment of peace instead of being fired up? Because again, if, if this guy has a sick child in the backseat, wouldn't you be happy to stop and wave him in and let him go if you knew the situation? 
So why don't we just choose to believe the best? See, this is what we do with our thinking. We don't understand that our thinking impacts our emotions, and then we just go, well, my husband, if my husband would just, and da 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 and that's why all of a sudden our emotions get crazy. It's because we've chosen to believe the worst. We cho- choose to believe a narrative that may not even be true. Even in our church, I'm not naive enough to think everybody is in perfect, harmonious relationship with each other because we're just too big a church for that, to be everybody be happy. For, for crying out loud, there's four people in my house, and not all four people are perfectly happy with every one of us all the time. Someone's in conflict with the other, right? So in a church our size, it's just natural, but, but there are times when you might walk through our lobby, for instance, and, and you go to say hi to someone, but they, they turn and they don't respond to you. And it's easy to go, well, I can't believe they did that to me. They just, they just big time me. Who do they think they are? I've known them since we were in high school, and why are they acting like that with me now? Well, I guess that tells me how they feel about me, right? One moment, and all of a sudden, we're off to the races, assuming and choosing to believe a narrative that's probably not even true. So if we're gonna do that, why, are we gonna, why would we enslave ourselves to that kind of mindset and that kind of feelings and those kind of emotions. So what we need to do is just choose to believe the best in spite of what we see around us and just decide I'm not going to let myself be captive to that kind of thinking any longer. See, the reason it says don't let the sun go down on your anger is because what, what God is trying to tell us is we don't let those thoughts rattle around our brain very long. We, we shut it down. Because that's where bitterness comes in, that's where hurt, that's where pain, that's where hatred, all those things rise up from us having the wrong thoughts. We gotta tear down the stronghold that's in our mind. Um, That's why it says we'd give no opportunity to the devil, right? So the good news for you is, is we get to choose how we feel by what we choose to think and believe. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So every thought that, that crosses our mind and that we recognize is, is lies, we, we take it captive. We go, no, 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 I'm not letting that go another step further. I'm stopping that in its tracks. I'm not going to allow myself to be captive to a feeling or emotion that's based on a lie. So I'm going to grab that lie and I'm going to hold it captive. We're throwing it in, in, in prison. It's not going anywhere. It doesn't have any authority in my life. Last three are much quicker than the first three. Number one, I want you to write this down. You have to understand this and you have to get this in your heart. God loves me and is for me. Two people love that. (laughs) See, I think this is something we can say, but it's not always something we really believe. We can say, yeah, God loves me, but man, if he was for me, wouldn't my life be better than it is right now? Yeah, he's for, he loves me, but I don't know. I don't know if he's really for me. Um, Maybe, maybe you don't believe either part of this. But the truth is God loves you and is for you. John 3.16 is a passage that most of us can quote even if you're not a believer and even if you're not a follower of Jesus. But let me read it to you in the message version. It just gives it a little bit of a different light. So John 3.16 in the message says this. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed by believing in him Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point out an accusing finger or point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help. See, some of us look at God and we go, God, I know you love me. I don't know if you're really for me. 
You're kind of an angry God. We just, we got to tiptoe around and we just hope we don't make him mad. But what you have to understand, God loves you. He's passionate about you and he is for you. He wants you to discover what true life is in him. That's what his desire for you is. He didn't send his son simply to die so that you could go to heaven. We see that Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. He wants us to live an abundant life here on earth. But the problem is we can't because we have believed lies that keep us locked in place and keep us from going to where God wants us to be. So God loves you. And it's for you. Number two, I can be free. The, the lies that I've believed that, that I can never be free of, of addiction or of, of a habit or of a relationship. I can never be free uh, of this condemnation or this guilt or the shame of my past. The lies that I've believed in those, the, I can be free of all that. See, some of us have lived with lies so long, you stop believing that you can be free from it. You just started accepting that this is the way you live your life. This is part of my life. I guess this is the way it's going to be. And what you have to understand today is that God loves you and is for you and you can be free from the chains that you picked up. You can be free from the cell that you've put yourself in. Romans 8 verse 1, 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. See, there are no longer any chains that will bind us in our life unless we willingly put those chains back on ourselves. See, what happens so many times is we're in a situation, we have a mindset, uh, we're locked in place, we're, we're captives to a lie, and, and then we hear the gospel and we're set free from that, right? And we step out of that, 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 that prison cell and we go, woo, I'm free! Whew, all right, okay. Now what, right? Monday rolls around and the enemy whispers in our ear, well, you can never be free. You can never, you don't deserve to be free. I, don't you remember what you did? Go, yeah, I was. I mean, I wasn't very nice and I, I did some stuff, man, I really regret. And yeah, I don't, I don't know if I deserve to be free. I mean, I know God loves me and I know God's for me, but my situation's different. So I, maybe I belong in this cell and then we just close the door and it closes with a clink. We lock the door back up. And God is going, I set you free. You could go. You could live the life I want you to live, but we choose to live in captivity because we continue to believe the lies. What you have to understand is you can be free. Uh, let me read that same verse to you in the, in the message version. It says, you no longer have to live under the continuous low-lying black cloud, a new powers in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. I love that, that phrase, like a strong wind has magnificently cleared the air. See, there are lies that we have let grow stagnant on our lives that we've just believed that I think God wants to, in his spirit, blow a strong wind through and clear those lies out of our heart and out of our lives so that we can become the people God wants us to become because we have to understand we can be free. I can be free. You can be free. And the last thing is, number three, I can be restored. Psalm 71.20 says, you have made me see many troubles and calamities. Oh, you who have made me see many troubles and calam calamities will revive me again from the depths of the earth. You will bring me up again. 
Now, if you just look at this at face value, it seems to indicate that God has made me walk through calamities in my life. God doesn't cause calamities. A better way to interpret this probably would be, you have walked me through calamities in my life. Because most of the time, the only reason we survive some of the stuff that we've survived is because God has been with us through it. So when we walk through these calamities, it says, um, you will revive me. The same person who brought me through that will revive me. And, and the language it's using literally means that we were dead. This, the psalmist says, I was dead. I had no hope. I had no future. But yet you came through and revived me. And this is what God wants to do. Some of you feel like you have no future because you are bound up to the lies that you believe. You, you've been bound up and there's no future and there's no hope. This is reality for you. But what you have to understand is the psalmist recognize this and we need to recognize this as well, that there is a future and a hope in Christ Jesus that we can be revived, we can be restored, we can put back in the right place that God wants us to be. 1 Peter 5.10, I read 8 and 9 earlier in this message. Let me read verse 10 to you now. And it says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I love that. The first part of this verse is, And after you have suffered a little while. A little while. How many of you know that that phrase, a little while, is subjective? Your little while might be different than my little while, right? And a little while to me is dramatically different than God's little while. Because for me, a little while would be like, I don't know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, that's good. That's all the suffering I need, God. But let's be honest, God is looking at, he's looking at creation with the eternal view. And I'm looking at a long time being 100 years, right? So, so let's say, for instance, I suffer for 100 years. In, in God's grand scheme of things, isn't that a little while? So what we see here is that after we suffer a little while, the God of all grace who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, listen to this, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The word establish here means make stable. So what he's saying is he's gonna stabilize your life. The circumstances of your life are gonna, are gonna settle down. It won't be so chaotic. He uses the word strengthen here, and the word strengthen means literally what you would think it means. When we feel weak, when we feel like we don't have the power to fight anymore, it's like that scene in Rocky, you know, when he's on the canvas and Adrian's screaming and he, he gets somewhere, he digs down deep and finds the strength and he gets up. This is what God does in us. When we don't have any strength, we don't have any power to fight anymore, we don't feel like we can get up off the canvas, God strengthens us and equips us to get up off the canvas, to continue to fight, to get free out of the thing that's been holding us back. He strengthens us. The, the, the next thing is confirm. This word confirm means to render constant. And you say, well, doesn't that mean the same thing as state make stable as we saw earlier? No, no, no. It's different because what this means is to render, render constant in one's mind. So what it means is God's going to give you a, a clarity of thought and a, and a stable mind so that you won't long, no longer have those crazy thoughts and believe all the lies. And all of a sudden your mind is racing, going different places. God says, no, no, no. I'm going to give you a peace of mind, a stability in thought that you're going to be able to walk through these circumstances and get out of your jail cell and be free. And the last thing is it says restore. This word restore is, is the Greek, it's katarizo. And what it means is to make whole. And so what this says to me is that some of us, we believe lies that have broken us down. They've shattered us. 
And what our God, very, in a very real sense, wants to do is restore those broken pieces. He wants to take them all. He doesn't want to just put some duct tape on it and put it back together. He wants to restore it so that there's not even any cracks. There's no evidence of damage. That it's stable and strong. He wants to restore you and put your life back together. Now, it might not look like it did before, but he's wanting to restore you and put those pieces back together. But what we have to do is choose to believe the right things. We have the power to choose. We can continue to believe lies that we've believed, or we can decide to believe truth in our lives. We can believe the lies that we'll never be enough, we're not good enough, God could never love us, we'll never be free from this addiction, we'll never have a decent marriage, we'll never get out of financial issues. We can believe all that stuff. Or we can go, okay, God, I know know what you say, and I know how you feel about me, so I'm gonna choose to see my situation and my life the way you see my situation in my life. And I'm going to apply that. I'm going to walk out of the cell and I'm never going back to that cell. I'm going to be free. And I'm going to choose to walk in freedom. But that is much, much harder to do than it is to say. So my challenge to you today is quite simple. If, if you're not a follower of Jesus, today's your day to take that step and say, okay, I want to begin the process of freedom and it begins by knowing the truth. Because that's where... Freedom is found. So I'm, I'm gonna make Jesus Lord of my life today. That's step number one. And then the next step is to start getting rid of all the lies that you believe. Start rejecting those and receiving truth and applying that into your life. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this room. God, I'm asking you right now in these next few minutes just to speak to hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd open up our eyes, help us see what truth is. I pray that we would reject the lies that, we've, that we have just adopted, that we have applied to our hearts. And God, I pray today that, that chains would be broken off people in this place. That Lord, the lies that we've applied and just acted like their truth would be broken off us today. And the Lord, we would walk out of those prison cells and we'd be set free. So Lord, I pray you'd have your way among us. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what, I, I'm... I've believed some lies in my life. There are some things that I think I'm held captive to, but the truth is I'm not in relationship with Jesus. And I know the first step of getting free begins with being in relationship with him. So today I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want want to confess him as Savior. That is the only way that we can truly be free. So if that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. I just want to pray with you right where you are. So if that's you today, would you be bold enough with nobody looking around? Would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high? and say, Mel, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. I want to be free. Thank you over here. I see you on my left. Awesome. Who else would say, pray for me, Mel. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. I want to know what it means to be free. And freedom begins with him. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? All right. I'd like everybody in the room, whether you raised your hand or not, just to pray this prayer with me out loud. Say, dear Jesus, Thank you for loving me. Today, I give my life to you. And I'm asking you to use it for your glory. Help me walk away from the lies that have held me back. And help me embrace the truth of who you are and what you want to do in my life. From this day forward, I choose to serve you. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for paying the price for my sins on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, Scripture tells us that you are a new creation today and that heaven is celebrating with you 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says the old is gone, the new has come. And so I'm excited about what God is doing in your life. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, uh, there's a couple things you can do. The first is you can take the card out of the seat back in front of you that says salvation on one side, it says need prayer on the other. Fill out the side that says salvation and just drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave today. We wanna help you take the next step in your faith journey. If you can't reach one of those cards or maybe you're watching online and would like to respond, simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're gonna respond back to you. We're gonna get you resources and in relationship and help you grow in your faith. So again, thank you so much for responding today, for being here. Uh, this is what's gonna happen right now. These guys are gonna lead us in one final song. We'll worship together. And while we do that, our prayer team is gonna make their way to either side of this platform. So if you need prayer for any reason at all today, as we begin to sing, step out from your seat, find one of our prayer team members and let them agree with you in prayer. Then in just a moment, Pastor Ricky is gonna come. He's our youth pastor. He'll dismiss us and close us out and we'll be cut loose at that point. But we're glad you're here today. Thank you for worshiping with us. Stand your feet all over the room. We're gonna worship one more time before we go. Guys, I tell you regularly, I tell you often, but I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day, and go Steelers.